and welcome to another episode of Dr. Me First. It's me, your colleague in medicine and coach in life, the sassy mother of dragons, podcasting physician, Dr. Aaron Wiseman. It's super great to be hanging with you today, and I really am excited to bring you probably the spotlight interview that I did over the summer with the amazing Dr. Kristen Neff. That's right. You have heard me talk about her multiple times with her first book, Self-Compassion, and now her second book that's out about fierce self-compassion. She has the Mindful Self-Compassion program and a workbook. Oh my gosh so much goodness. We talk about in the podcast, but I have to say today, she truly is one of my idols that helped me realize that burnout was not my fault and learn compassion for myself. So without further ado, let's get on into the interview. But before we do, I got to pay some bills. So here's our sponsor for this week. It's story time brought to you by locumstory.com. Today, we'll be reading One Job, Two Job. One Job, Two Job, Red Blob, No Job, Elective Doc, Emergency doc, some in overstock, some in understock. This doc is too abused. This doc is underused. This dog cannot get sick. Say, let's just try a brand new trick. For all the docs about to cry, here's an idea you can try. Look into a locum tenants assignment. A really great option. You might find it. Don't forget locums pay much better and you can find assignments in any type of weather. With all this new information trapped inside your thinker, go to drpodcastnetwork.com backslash locum story and use your mouse to tinker. It's here you'll find the unbiased answers you are after so you can decide if locum tenants is your next chapter. Isn't that the best ad read? (laughs) I love it. Well, you can know more about Locum Story, like they mentioned, going to drpodcastnetwork.com backslash locum story. Welcome to the podcast. I'm a little fangirling right now, everyone, just so you know, but I am talking with the amazing Dr. Kristen Neff today. I'm so glad to have you. Tell the people on Podcasting World a little bit about yourself. Oh, thanks, Erin. Thanks for having me on. So yes, I'm Kristen Neff, and I'm an associate professor at the University of Texas at Austin. And uh, my research the past 20 years has been focused on self-compassion. So um, how it relates to well-being, what it predicts in terms of motivation, in terms of things like burnout, overall well-being. And I've written a lot of books on the topic. I've written four books, including my my latest one, which is Fierce Self-Compassion, How Women Can Harness Kindness to Speak Up, Claim Their Power, and Thrive. And I've also created something a nonprofit called the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion, where we teach a, an eight-week training program in self-compassion called Mindful Self-Compassion. So my son just says I'm the compa- self-compassion lady. So that's me. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You are, you're not just self-compassion. You are a life changer, my friend. Mm-hmm. You really are. I was smushing all over her earlier before we got on the podcast, just telling Dr. Neff about how much her book has changed my own life, how I talk about it with my coaching clients. And whenever I go do speaking, compassion is huge. And I I support this woman 110%. And so that's her words that we're going to get into today, which is 
fierce self-compassion. So I kind of know why you picked them, but tell everybody why you picked these words today and what they mean to you. Yeah. So, so self-compassion in general is, is the definition of compassion in the literature is just concerned with the alleviation of suffering. So self-compassion is turning that concern inward, being a good friend to ourselves. But what I've realized over the years is there's two different ways we can be supportive and we can help ourselves um, that I like to call the tender and the fierce sides of self-compassion. And most people are kind of imagine what the tender side looks like. That's the more nurturing, gentle side of self-compassion. It's the, the side that allows us to accept ourselves unconditionally, even when we fail, when we make mistakes. It's very uh, warm, caring, kind of like the, the metaphorical mothering energy, you might say, self-compassion. But there's also this fierce side that I, the reason I wrote this book is a lot of people aren't as familiar with this. I like to call it, this is our mama bear self-compassion. So there's gentle mother, but there's fierce mama bear. So in other words, sometimes to alleviate our suffering, even though we accept ourselves, sometimes we need to take action to make changes, whether it's changes to our behavior. Maybe we're doing something that's unhealthy. So we need to motivate doing something different, or we need to change something in our lives. Maybe the working conditions we're in aren't good. We need to change jobs or change relationships. Protection, self-protection is huge, right? Drawing boundaries, saying no. I I see the Me Too movement, for instance, is like a woman's self-compassion movement. As we say, it's not okay, we can't be treated this way. Uh, And then also really importantly, uh, meeting our own needs, really saying, you know, my needs are important too. They're more important than those of others, but they aren't less important either. And finding balance between our own needs and those of others. The reason I wrote the book for women is because, you know, women are socialized to be tender to others, not to themselves. And they're socialized completely not to be fierce or rock the boat or really stand up for themselves. So the book is all about bringing more balance. And everyone needs balance, regardless of gender identity. Um, But it, it sometimes needs a little practice because our culture doesn't encourage it. Was there a specific moment or a set of events that really spurred you to write from this perspective of fears? Yeah. Well, so I, I had my own uh, kind of Me Too experience. I write a chapter about it in the book. Um, someone that who ran an autism center who I had supported, I thought was a friend I trusted for years, turned out to be a mini Harvey Weinstein. You know, get all these, all these revelations were coming out after, you know, person after person, mainly men. And I had that moment as well and just kind of unpacking it and everyone's reactions to it and my reaction to it, I realized that, you know, one of the reasons, I mean, not to put any blame on woman at all, zero, but nonetheless, one of the reasons some of this stuff didn't come out earlier was partly because women have been so socialized not to speak up. You know, that's just the way men are. I don't want to rock the boat. I mean, there are also, you know, real fears and fears of repercussions. Again, not to put any blame on women, but seeing how people reacted to it, that a lot of women had trouble getting in touch with their anger. And I was like, I was ferocious. I was pissed off. I was going to shut this guy down. And, And women, most of the women I work with eventually got there, but it was difficult for them. And I realized that this socialization against women's anger or women standing up for themselves, or women finding their powerful, authentic voice to speak up, you know, uh, our culture doesn't really in- encourage that. And so, and I, and of course, 
this is something that is a face of love. This is part of self-compassion, this idea of standing up for ourselves, speaking up, being authentic, meeting our own needs, um, taking action to make ourselves happy. And so that was, we might say, the event that really led me to write the book proposal to my agent and say, I want to write this book. Yeah, absolutely. I was just having a conversation yesterday with an, a medical executive of a pretty large institution. And what she said to me is, Aaron, I want to be a compassionate leader. And actually what you're saying, I said back to her, like the best form of compassion is sometimes having those co- hard conversations and, and standing up. Like that is the most compassionate act because to let it continue to go on can, continues to bring more harm. That's right. So it's all about the alleviation of suffering. And, you know, my book is almost ad nauseum, but again and again, I come back to this idea of balance. It's like yin and yang. Yin is more the tender side, yang is more the fear side. And we need balance for health and well being. We need both. If we're too tender without enough fierceness, we may be complacent, right? Let things just slide. But if we're too fierce without enough tenderness, we might become like hostile or aggressive or so driven that we burn ourselves out. So it's really about finding balance and realizing that these two sides of being are both essential for happiness. And unfortunately, men are harmed. People who are socialized to be men are harmed because they aren't allowed to get in touch with their feelings, you know, and that means they don't have the skills of emotional intelligence. Sometimes some people do, but a lot don't that actually helps them heal from their difficult emotions. So that, that harms men. It also harms workplaces where there's no emotions allowed, no sensitivity allowed, no, no like acceptance of things like human imperfection that creates an environment that's hostile, that's aggressive. uh, And that, that harms everyone. Uh, on the other hand, you know, again, women are socialized to be tender but not fierce. So again, this is what can lead to things like uh, inequality, right? If people, some people aren't allowed to speak up and assert their voices, that's not good either, right? We become complacent. So it's it's really a matter of everyone finding what's authentic for them, their own unique balance. And so what this book has is, is it has actually concrete practices and exercises designed to help people develop and integrate both energies. I love that. Absolutely. As you're speaking to, I was thinking about like the fear side. That's a hundred percent like an OR in any hospital <laughs> anywhere is so much fierceness there. I mean, it's tender, like as the patient is going to sleep, yes, <laughs> but right. then after that, it's like the band-aids ripped off. So when you're saying like finding your authentic balance with the, with the tender and the fierce, how would you say, and just the quick and dirty, like, is that you think tied also to helping you find your authentic voice too? Like after you figure out your balance, then you know how to express? Yeah. Well, I wouldn't even say one comes before the other. I mean, it's all wrapped up in authenticity. So the research really supports that people who are naturally more self-compassionate or who are trained to be more self-compassionate, that authenticity is a big part of being self-compassionate. Right, being willing to express yourself, being willing to speak up, really thinking about well, what's important for me, and that you know, realizing that I'm worthy enough to realize what's what's important to me. So yeah, that, that's especially one of the things that well, again, it really comes from the fierceness and the tenderness. So the tenderness is more aimed at ourselves as people. This unconditional self uh, acceptance of ourselves as people, whether we fail, whether we succeed, you know, whatever is happening, 
We are human beings, flawed human beings, worthy of kindness and, and care, like all human beings are. And the fierceness is more about taking action. So that's more about either our behaviors or the situations in the world that need to change to alleviate suffering. And we absolutely need all of it. To, to focus on one without the other is it just kind of doesn't make any sense. And yet that's what our culture does. And especially when it genders these things or says, you know, certain types of workplaces are all about one or the other. And that's just not healthy. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, it's just like us giving a medicine. Like, if you don't give enough, you're not going to get to the therapeutic dose. And if you give mu- too much, you're going to be toxic. So it's definitely like finding that balance. Right. You know, a word that you mentioned a couple and a couple sentences just there was worthy. How yeah. would you describe worthy or worthiness? Yeah, so worthy really comes down to, is it conditional or unconditional? So worthy, you might say worthy of care, worthy of concern, worthy of respect, right? In, a, in other words, am I lovable? Am I, am I someone who deserves to be cared for, have kindness? Uh, and this is where the difference between self-esteem and self-compassion comes in. Self, The worthiness that's associated with self-esteem usually, not always, but usually comes from judgments and evaluations. You know, did I achieve my goals? Do I look the way I want to look? Do people like me? Am I special and above average? You know, I don't feel worthy unless it's not okay just to be average. I have to be above average. So you, most people get their self-esteem, their sense of worthiness from these particular conditions. Self-compassion by definition is kind of kindness in the face of human imperfection, whether that's because you focused on the negative. Well, that's in the definition. Passion in Latin means suffer. So it's basically how you relate to your human suffering and the suffering of imperfection. And so when you're kind to yourself, not because you've gotten it right, but simply because you're a human being with a heart that hurts, (laughs) then the, the sense of worthiness is really unconditional and it's much more stable over time. I love that. I was slow on the uh, microphone button because I'm sitting here like I'm in a lecture right now, just absorbing it all. (laughs) Thank you so much for that. And, you know, one of the big struggles that I have had into my adult life, I think, and by the way, I think I use my medical training and education as a way to like placate and not have to like learn this stuff in my 20s and 30s. So I'm catching up now. But one big question for me, and I know for a lot of physicians that I talked with is, you know, how can we learn to love ourselves as is? Not with the degrees on the wall, not with the like, I'm the top physician, you know, like how, how from your point of view and your experience, can we love ourselves? So sometimes actual self-love is a tall order. Sometimes we can maybe just you know, start small, like begin to be a little kind. For instance, you can be kind about the fact that you're a total mess. <laughs> well, actually, we, I had talked about this in my book, you know, the, the goal of practice, self-compassion practice is simply to be a compassionate mess. You actually don't assume that you love or not be a mess or that you'll ever get it totally right. But what your goal becomes is just simply to have your heart open to whatever mess arises, whether that's the mess of the world or your life or yourself. And if that actually becomes your goal, your intention to be warm and supportive, um, sometimes using constructive criticism or a little kick in the butt, you know, it doesn't always look like accepting. Sometimes it can look quite fierce. But if your goal is to alleviate suffering, to help, to support, to um, 
to help yourself feel cared for, whatever form that takes, then uh, that's really all you need to start. In other words, you don't have to achieve anything other than being a flawed human being in order to give yourself compassion. And being a flawed human being is our birthright, right? You know, when, when a baby is born, we don't say, okay, well, that baby will be worthy of kindness once they get through med school, right? That baby is worthy of that kindness. The, you know, just immediately it's intrinsic to being a human being. So we tap into that intrinsic sense of worth that we all have as human beings. And we just start to support ourselves wherever we are. Absolutely. Well, talk a little bit more about the online course that's specifically geared towards medical professionals. Yeah, yeah. So about two years ago, I got contacted by someone at Dell Children's uh, Medical Hospital. So, you know, pediatric hospital. And, you know, she said, Krista, my, my doctors and nurses and all the healthcare staff, they're so burned out. I want to teach them self-compassion. She had taken my full course and really loved it. But, you know, they don't have time. They can't take us because our course is an eight-week, two-and-a-half-hour-week course. They, say, they aren't going to do that. They aren't going to meditate. Can you give me something that, that's feasible? So we developed a, a for six weeks, one hour. We taught it at lunch. while well, we gave them pizza. Like, they had to eat anyway. So we taught it on their lunch break. And we developed a course that all the practices are done on the job. Like, doesn't require any homework outside of your working environment. So as you walk from room to room, you might ground yourself by feeling your feet on the floor. We do a practice, uh, for instance, uh, where you use the breath when you're with a patient, maybe who's really in a lot of pain. And it's really important when you're in the presence of someone with pain to give yourself compassion for your empathic pain because your mirror neurons are feeling their pain and they're also reading you. <laughs> it goes both ways um, pre-verbally. So we teach a practice where they use the breath, like when they breathe in, they breathe in for themselves and they kind of honor the fact that they're burnt out, they're tired, they're exhausted, their, their mirror neurons are buzzing with the patient's pain. But you also breathe out for the patient who's obviously hurting as well. That's why they're your patient. It's like using the breath to breathe in for yourself, out for the others. So, But you do that on the job as you're working. So a lot of practices like that. And we got really good results in terms of decreases in stress, decreases in burnout, increases in compassion, satisfaction, you know, the ability to feel your job's meaningful and you're happy with it. So, and and we teach that online now through the Center for Mindful Self-Compassion. And so I've had so many people say they should teach this like in residency or in med school, you know, before you get on the job and you get burned out. And so some people are actually starting. It's quite exciting. Absolutely. And I will make sure that we put a link in the show notes to people right there because it is, I mean, just a few little things. When I learned your grounding tip about like feeling the bottoms of my feet Uh and thinking about, so I'm a DO, you know, the longest nerves in our bodies are the ones that connect, you know, from our spine all the way down to the tips of our toes. And when I like ground and I think about those longest nerves touching the inside of my shoe, it, it was like the stupidest little thing, but it was, it's been so helpful to like get as far away from my brain as absolutely possible. Exactly. Yeah. You sometimes even do like the tips of my toes. So I really want to get away from my brain. Yeah. Simple things like this or, or, or putting your hand on your heart or holding your own hand, you know, if you can't do that in public, because um, it actually works at the level of physiology. What we're doing with self-compassion is typically when we feel threatened in some way, when we've made a mistake or something difficult happens, 
We, we react with the threat defense response, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, a sympathetic nervous system reactivity. Uh, so when we criticize ourselves, we're like fighting ourselves, hoping we could control ourselves. So that we, we elevates cortisol and blood pressure and all that. So what we're doing with self-compassion is we're actually tapping into the care system, which of course evolved to care for others like infants, right? So when we're holding an infant in our arms, we're releasing oxytocin, the infant's releasing oxytocin, parasympathetic activity comes on, you know, our heart rate variability increases, cortisol levels drop. So we're kind of doing a hack, you know, we're using the system that evolved to care for others toward ourselves when we feel unsafe in some way. And it's a lot more effective because, again, activates parasympathetic response. That's one of the reasons research shows that self-compassion is linked to better physical health, better immune function. Uh, it's also linked to better sleep because it works on this level of physiology. So we say, yeah, it's touchy-feely, but there's a reason, a scientific reason it's touchy-feely. Use touch as a way to tap into your body's parasympathetic response. Yeah. Got to doctor yourself first. You know, absolutely. Exactly. <laughs> well, Kristen, where is the best place to buy your new book, Fierce Self-Compassion? Yeah, well, you can get it anywhere. You know, any uh, you can do it Amazon, but we also like to support, you know, local booksellers or um, Barnes & Noble, people like that. Um, you can get it anywhere. And then I also have a few other books. I've got my first book, Self-Compassion, um, which is a little more about the tender side, about the self-acceptance. We also have the Mindful Self-Compassion Workbook available, which will take you through our eight-week program in workbook format. But probably the best place to start if you just Google self-compassion, you'll find my website. You can take the self-compassion scale I developed, test your level of self-compassion. I have research articles. If you want to see the empirical evidence for this, there's hundreds of PDFs of actual research articles. I've got videos, exercises, guided practices. I have a lot, a lot on there. It's a good starting place. It's great. And I keep it bookmarked on my home computer. <laughs> I know it. It's self-compassion.org. <laughs> right. right. Well, Dr. Kristen Neff, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, again, it is an honor and a pleasure to be speaking with you. And um, I just thank you so much for your work and research. You're welcome. Thanks, Erin. It was a lot of fun. Hey, are you tired of going at it alone? Well, friend, you don't have to anymore. Come sit with me. I want you to know that it's okay if you need to take a break. It's okay if you need to talk about some real crappy things. It's okay. You're not the first to feel like this, and you don't have to stick it out and be miserable. There is a way out, and there is a whole movement of fierce females in your corner. If you want to come sit with me and be in my community, you will not see me in Facebook groups. I freaking hate Facebook with a deep and fiery passion. <laughs> but what you can do is come over to Aaron Wiseman's Badass Collective on Slack. Because guess what? Once a badass, always a badass. And this isn't anything that's paid. It's not anything that I'm like throwing huge promos at you. It is simply a community where I am trying to get people together in the same space so that we can have these kind of conversations safely and in a protected manner that you feel so loved on. It's the whole purpose. So click in the show notes, get over to the Slack group. We do have some community rules. 
but you know, that's just how it goes. But I would love to see you in there. I am in there almost every single day, having real conversations, posting crazy pictures of my kids and gifts, all that good stuff. And I want you in there too. So come on over, come sit with me. Thanks again, Dr. Kristen Neff, for coming and sharing all about it on Dr. Me First. You can check out the show notes to talk about any of the links. And I actually did a deep dive back into the Dr. Me First archives and pulled out some episodes that if you want to continue talking about self-compassion, I got more for you. So going way, way back to the early beginnings, check out episode 28 with my friend, Dr. Sheetal Ajmani. We talk about self-compassion there. Episode 201 with Dr. Narissa Bauer. We talk about self-compassion. Episode 228, Dr. Tanya Kaler. She specifically talks about compassion. And also episode 244 with Dr. Pamela Ludmer. Her episode specifically was around divorce, but compassion is a huge component in there. So check those episodes out. We'll make sure we put links to 28, 201, 228, and 244 for some more goodness about learning to give ourselves compassion. Because you know what? We give compassion to others. We give compassions to our pets. Hell, we give compassion to people we see on the street that like cut us off in traffic. But how lacking are we for compassion for ourselves? So I just want to just ooze this all over you because self-compassion for me has been utterly and completely life-changing. And with that too, if you want to be around other people who are walking this journey as well, get over into my badass Slack group. We hate Facebook, so we stay in a way. We're making our own little corner in the world. And it's so much fun. So come over and join us. Click the link down the show note. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. And you don't get all the freaking ads from stupid Facebook. (laughs) Well, friend, it's so good sitting down with you today for sharing my heart, having Dr. Neff share hers as well. And I just want to remind you, I got to pay some bills. So here's our sponsor for this week. For doctors, the story has changed. Visit drpodcastnetwork.com backslash locum story, and that's spelled O-U-C-U-M-S-T-O-R-Y, to see if a locum tenants assignment is right for you. It's here. You'll find an unbiased answer that you're looking for. So you can decide if locum tenants is your next chapter. Go check them out. And I just want to remind you to remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters.